What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. What I do here is a daily live stream, and I put it out in podcast form. If you want to take part in the live streams, you can follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner, or better yet, go to the telegram t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Also, check out the website bitcoinandmarkets.com. Sign up for the free tier, get notified of all my content, get a free weekly newsletter. And there you can also become a full member and support me for $5 a month and support this unique perspective in Bitcoin. So I have been in Bitcoin for almost 10 years. I have an economics and business background as well as a military career. So I have a unique perspective, a unique outlook. And if you listen to this whole episode today, you'll get a taste of that unique outlook. So I want to thank everyone that supports over there on BitcoinAndMarkets.com. If you're new, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Subscribe, like, share, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com. Okay, let's get into today's show. I wonder if your guys' houses are as crazy as mine. <laughs> uh, we had a full house here over Christmas. Hope your guys' Christmas was really good. Did probably too much rich eating. You know, like we had some some prime rib and stuff like that and, and a few cookies and and all that. But then um, uh, also the in-laws, they like they like to play cards and drink their drinks. And so we we did that with them over the weekend. I could not record yesterday because they stayed an extra day and we actually went to Top Golf. If you guys know what that is, it's, uh, you know, the uh, it's kind of indoor outdoor golfing where you're up on the tiers and you're swinging, you're hitting it into targets and stuff. It's uh really fun. And, and once you get the hang of it, uh, it can get pretty competitive, especially my, my father-in-law, he's plays golf at least twice a week and he's really good. So anyway, that was fun. Hope you guys uh, had a good time with your family and had a healthy and happy Christmas. Okay. Let's go to some macro charts. I just posted them a few minutes ago, and these are charts that we don't go over very often. Of course, actually, what I should do is post Bitcoin chart first. Hold on a second. I'll do that. I'm going to go to a daily chart. Pretty much the Bitcoin price has been extremely, extremely stable. Another post up above in Telegram was Will Clemente saying that you know, the volatility in Bitcoin has crashed to an all-time low. And that's crazy if you think about, you know, all of the drops that we've had this year. But really, all those drops have happened quite quickly. Like, even if you just look at this daily chart that I just posted, uh, the FTX collapse happened over a two-day period. That's it. And it was over. If you go back to Celsius and to Terra, they're a little bit longer. I think they lasted about a week. But... It's still a very short period of time, about, what would that be, 16 days, 16 days in all of 2022 were these really bad red candles, and the rest of it was sideways to up. Just look at this last little period that uh, is on the daily chart. Um, it's slowly going up. I mean, there is a slight bias to the upside, but mostly it's it's sideways. But that's how the whole year has been, except for those big drops. So I did talk about this with CK on last week's FedWatch. It uh, was a really great show. So if you guys missed that, 
Uh, I'll put a link in Telegram right after this. Uh, but we talked about, um, is there another shoe to drop here? Um, and he tends to think so. And he has been more directionally correct, I would say, than me this year on the Bitcoin price, because I've thought the bottom had come multiple times and then another shoe fell. So, you know, he's still saying there's more shoes to come and I'm the permeable. I'm the one that thinks that, uh, you know, we're late in this cycle and we got to get going. We got to get going to make it through, uh, to make up for lost time. The FTX kind of set us back here, uh, really set us back on the timeline for the, you know, the four year having cycle and all that. So, um, I think we have to get going and I don't really believe there's another shoe to drop. Of course, there's the threat of Binance. I haven't really kept up with that too much over the weekend. Um, a lot of people are talking about GBTC. I know David Bailey, he's um, the owner of BTC Media and Bitcoin Magazine. And he's talking about getting a bunch of GBTC whales together and forcing some issues or something like this. And so uh, those type of issues are developing, but nothing has come of them yet. And we don't know, like, I still think GBTC is solvent. DCG itself, the parent company, no, probably not. I, I don't know. It, it, it's Barry Silbert is a huge shit coiner. He's been a shit coiner since day one, basically. Uh, but GBTC is a different animal. Okay. So I think that GBTC itself is solvent. Um, now, Binance and Coinbase, uh, there's a bigger chance that Binance is insolvent, but I don't know. It's, I haven't, uh, look at the price. The price is not, it, it isn't going up. Okay. You could say that, but it, it is not, um, acting as if Binance is insolvent. Okay. Th these rumors have kind of lessened and gone away to a degree, but there is still an elevated risk of something like that happening. So do your own research, not financial advice. The, the, Matt O'Dell, he has the best financial advice. You know, stay humble and stack sats. You, you can't pick the bottoms or the tops. So you just got to keep uh, with your DCA plan or whatever your plan is. And um, or if you have like bought Bitcoin years ago and you're still just sitting on it, you know, just keep hodling. And that's the best advice I can give you. There was um, a tweet this morning. Uh, about somebody, some Bitcoiner on Twitter said that, oh my gosh, a, one of my normie friends finally is asking me about Bitcoin. What should I tell them? What resources do you have? What are the best resources out there to give to my normie friend? And everybody was like, oh, here's a great resource. Here's a great resource, blah, 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 blah. Just evangelism everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, I quoted him. I said, quote, normie friend. Uh, he's going to panic sell the bottom, tell him he's not ready. So it, it's a different mentality. Um, if he is a normie friend, he's going to panic sell. I, I can't tell you how many people I have talked to about Bitcoin over the years. They have bought Bitcoin. They have spent tens of thousands of dollars buying Bitcoin. And they panic sell at the first drop and they lose half of their investment, you know, or 25%. And that it stresses your friendship, right? And your advice at the beginning was, hey, don't sell for five years. But of course, they can't even make it through the first dip. So evangelism is a double-edged sword. 
the way I, I guess, have been called to do it is just through this type of podcast, you know, uh, just talking through these issues, trying to explore them myself and explore them with you guys. And that is the best type of evangelism, I think. Um, at least it's the what works best for me. But everybody's different. Everyone will have their own journey here. And um, just be careful when you tell, when you get your normie friends to buy Bitcoin. Uh, it most likely won't work out for them. Okay. So that was the Bitcoin chart. Um, Hey, what's up, guys? Just breaking in on the edit. All of these charts will be available on the write-up for this post. It will be bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash E289. Let's look at some of these macro charts. So the first one is the Dutch natural gas futures, the front month contract. And it is falling out of this very long kind of megaphone pattern. So it is the lowest it has been since, what month would that be? June, the lowest since June and almost breaking the June lows and going back to the lows back from March, you know, at the beginning of the uh, Ukraine conflict. So that, that's an interesting development. I mean, I know that the cold weather that hit the U.S. is going over to Europe now, so we'll see how these rates continue. But remember, the energy, like if their economy is crashing and collapsing, which I, th- I think that's an underappreciated part of this, right? The demand is falling so much that uh, these prices can fall. But anyways, let's go to the next one. And this is the Henry Hub U.S. natural gas futures. There's this very long trend line going back a couple years. Uh, if I zoomed out on this chart, it wouldn't even be all that high compared to historically. I think it got up to 20 bucks per million BTUs or whatever the unit is here um, back great financial crisis time. And it only got up to five to $10 per million BTUs this time. And now it's down to five. So, and it's threatening also to break this long-term two-year trend line. So we'll see how that develops. Um, Next chart is the Baltic dry index. This is bulk dry commodities, basically, you know, like corn or stuff that's not shipped in the 40 foot containers. So not any sort of manufactured little widgets. It's going to be the, the large bulk commodities, steel and stuff like that. So this is just the price to ship that, uh, according to the Baltic dry index, I think it's based out of London and you can see it's very low. It got as high back in 2021 with this supply chain disruption. It's a supply chain disruption. It's not an inflation spike in inflation. Okay. It's a money printing. It's a supply chain disruption. Just look at this chart. It got all the way over 5,000 on whatever the unit is here. And now it's back down to 1500. And I didn't even show the top of this chart. Why didn't I do that? Let me go see where the top of the Baltic dry index is from Last year, 2021, the high was 56.40, and now it's all the way down at 15.15 today. It's back to normal, totally back to normal. So the costs, at least in the supply chain, are back to normal. All right, let's move on to the next chart, uh, is lumber. Now, this was a big thing in the U.S. I'm not sure if lumber, like in Europe, 
or Asia had different spikes like it did here in the U.S. But uh, you can see this chart. I mean, it's just went absolutely nuts from about $300 on this future contract all the way up to $1,700. And I, I mean, I do little projects around the house and I remember buying lumber at that time. I think a two, an eight foot two by four was usually like $2.50 uh, at my local store. And it got up to, I think, 12 bucks or something. I mean, it was just astronomical. Big sheets, four by eight sheets of plywood were hundreds of dollars. And they're usually, I don't know, 40 bucks. So yeah, the lumber prices got out of control. And you, again, once again, where was the peak? Right around May of 2021. Now, all of, all these commodity prices that spiked in the middle of 2021 they start getting priced into final goods, you know? And that inflation, quote-unquote inflation, that price increase isn't going to peak in May of 2021 like all of these commodities peaked. It's going to peak, you know, maybe in December or January, February of 2022, which is kind of what we've seen. We've seen, you know, a peak in CPI in 2022 following a year of peak actual commodity prices and uh, commodity volatility in 2021. And that's perfectly understandable and reasonable. Also, if you look at this lumber chart, this is super interesting. So when you have a supply chain shock, you're going to have this huge blow off top, right? Like we did back in May of 2021. But then you have some ripples. There's some uh, ripples in the marketplace. And you can see that by the, by September of 2021, the price had crashed all the way down, down from 1700 down to about, what is that? 400. Then it ramped right back up into January of 2022, back up to 1300. And now it's fallen back down to under 400. So these are the ripples that you see in a supply chain disruption. These are not the ripples you see from a money printing crisis. All right. Okay. Let's continue with the next chart. Next chart is a super zoomed out look at the Goldman Sachs commodity index. So this obviously takes all the commodities. Oil is a big influence on this chart, but, or on this index, but it does take into account a bunch of different commodities. And you can see back in the great financial crisis, 2009, it peaked up there at 892. Now this crisis that we had peaked in early 2022, the commodity index did, but it didn't even get up to the previous high from the great financial crisis. And look what happened after the great financial crisis. There were those ripples once again. Now this is an index, so it's taking into account all or a huge basket of commodities. One second, I have to cough. So it's taking into account a huge basket of commodities, but you can see the ripple. 2008 shoots up, 2009 drops down. 2011, 12, it's going up. It try, It's like maintaining higher because people, obviously there's a lot of stuff going on in the global economy with the European sovereign debt crisis and other things. Um, people are worried. But then what happens in 2014, 15? Drops off a cliff. So what do I expect looking at this chart for the coming years? I expect some reverberations, but first is the down impulse, the down leg on these commodity prices. And what's that gonna do to CPI? What's that gonna do to prices? It's going to make them go down. And so even if we do have 
uh, really bad growth, really bad nominal GDP, prices are going to fall faster. So it, it will look like we have positive GDP, even though it feels like a depre- uh, uh, recession. All right, let's keep going. The next one is just zooming in on this index, and you can see the behavior that it's had this year. Kind of peaked out. Looks a lot like the oil chart, actually, but um, tried to double top here, and it's been down ever since. Okay. And that's all of my macro charts. Let's go into this tweet. So um, Liberty Mugs on Twitter, if you guys scroll up in the Telegram, you'll see this tweet that I posted from Liberty Mugs. And he says, the thing with the best monetary properties will become money. The only way to stop this is the introduction of something with even better monetary properties. Until something comes out that is better than Bitcoin. It should be assumed that its endpoint is global money. This is partly true. Okay, he says the only way to stop this is the introduction of something even better with even better monetary properties. What he, what, but what I point out in my response is that global macroeconomic conditions change. So it doesn't have to be better money. It can just be better money for the time, right? Everybody knows that people will naturally pick inflation. People will naturally pick inflation if they can, right? If it works, that's why we have the business cycle because credit gets extended and then credit crashes. You have um, an expansion of the money supply and a contraction of the money supply because extending credit works. That's what a lot of Austrians and a lot of Bitcoiners don't want to admit. But extending credit actually works initially. In the early stages of a credit expansion, those investment opportunities are plentiful and they're also very productive. So you invest a million dollars and you get 10 million out of it or a billion. So the the investment opportunities of credit expansion early on are very beneficial or they're very good, I guess. I don't know what term to use. But um, as you go on in this credit bubble, the problem is the, the productivity of that new credit gets less and less. So if you're thinking about that in terms of the global economy, uh, what Liberty Muggs is saying, that the only way to stop the inter- is to introduce something that's better, um, money that's better. But it must be better for the specific circumstances. If the economy is ready, like has low credit, you know, low credit burden, and there is plenty of new technology that is low hanging fruit that you can invest in and get high returns from. If that is the global economic environment, then the monetary properties that best fit that environment are different than the monetary properties that fit in the bust cycle. Okay. In the bust cycle, you aren't looking for elasticity. You aren't looking for uh, expansion of, of the money supply. You're looking for safety. You're looking for reducing uh, counterparty risk, right? That's what everybody, that's why you flee to safe, uh, safe havens. What we have today is what we're going to see over the next couple of years is a global flood to a new 
safe haven. And that new safe haven will be monetized Bitcoin. So, but if the in the future, if you look 50, 100 years down the road, we're going to get back to a, a situation where credit is highly productive again. And Bitcoin isn't going to be seen as the best money in that situation. The, what is used as money is going to fluctuate. Right now, we're going into a period where Bitcoin is going to be the best money for the foreseeable future. But there is a time in the future when credit conditions will be a certain way. Perhaps there is, you know, a, uh, heaven forbid, some other kind of world war. And everybody's wrecked and there need, there's massive amounts of insatiable demand for credit expansion. And in that case, in the future, in the far future, we're going to turn to some other form of money. Now, wh whether we turn completely away from Bitcoin, I don't think we'll ever turn completely away from Bitcoin until, like Liberty Mug says, uh, there is something better. So we never turned completely away from gold. If Bitcoin weren't here, we would turn back to gold, people. We would in this era, in this new era, if there were no Bitcoin we would turn back to gold in this era. The reason why we don't turn back to gold is because of Bitcoin, of course. So that that is what Liberty Muggs is saying correct here. But we didn't turn away from gold because of evil central bankers. All right, It's in human nature to want credit expansion. And if it, everything's working, you know, everyone's a genius in the boom. Everybody's a genius in 1980s United States. In 1990s, well, and I guess 1980s Japan too. Um, 2000, the the aughts, whatever you call that, first decade of the 2000s uh, in China. Everybody was a genius, and credit expands. Okay, that was not nefarious central planning. Of course, they didn't do anything to stop it, but neither did anybody else. The market turned towards a expansionary form of money, a money that could expand very readily in this uh, very peaceful, globalized, more globalized world. But as we go away from that, you know, that's not going to work. So, and also in the future, we probably won't have as much, because I mean, the amount that the U.S. was global hegemon, like the disparity between the U.S. and the next, say, 100 countries combined, the U.S. was still, you know, far and away more powerful, uh, had half of the global economy really, uh, has all the technology companies, all the credit, all the money, all the big banks. And especially after the Soviet Union fell in the 90s, I would say that that pinnacle of the discrepancy between the U.S. and the rest of the world was so large, I don't think that can happen again, at least not for 2,000 years. You might have to go back to, say, something like the Roman Empire at its peak, that you could find some other discrepancy of power in most of the world like that. So I don't think that's going to be getting to that level anytime soon. So I think we kind of need something at that discrepancy level to get to pure credit-based money. And without that um, discrepancy, that just utter 
massive discrepancy between the global hegemon and the rest of the world, then credit-based money globally isn't going to work. In that case, we will constantly be turning back to Bitcoin, finding ways in the business cycle, you know, of eight to 10 year cycle of expanding other forms of credit. It doesn't have to be obviously like, it can't be expanding the Bitcoin supply, but it can be expanding other forms of credit, balance sheet credit, um, things of that nature. And since the world won't be at such a discrepancy point in power that we won't ever be able to get to a full credit-based system again, we'll have to maintain a commodity-backed money. But anyway, I I got onto this topic because of Liberty Mug saying that the only way to stop the introduction of something like this is to create new money, but it's not because uh, obviously we saw the dollar, the credit-based dollar take over from gold. So, and the credit-based dollar, I don't think Liberty Mugs would say, that it has better monetary properties than gold, only in certain economic, global economic conditions. So hope that was clear as mud. All right, what I'm gonna do now is open it up to you guys over there on Telegram. I'm not live streaming on Twitter spaces the last few days because, or the last few live streams, because I just haven't wanted to go through the trouble, (laughs) go through the hassle, but I'll get back into doing that for sure. Um, Okay, so anybody have any topics, comments they want to raise? Anything like that? While I'm waiting to see if anybody has anything. Um, Thanks for joining me. Sorry, I do have my head cold. It's getting better. It was real bad a couple days ago, but I'm getting slowly better. And yeah, uh, for people listening on the podcast, check out BitcoinandMarkets.com. Check out the Telegram, t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets. Follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. All right, going once, going twice, no comments. All right, well, I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a good day. Bye.